was written in large part by Paul to deal with the issue of the Judaizers, right? These are people that, that said that it wasn't just faith in Jesus, but you needed something else. And so that is a repeated theme, right? The very first week we talked about Jesus, uh, we need faith plus nothing, right? We don't need anything other than faith. And then the last couple weeks we were talking about that again, about how justification comes through faith. And so we saw this in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. If you have your Bibles with you today, feel free to go ahead and open them up. Otherwise, they will be up on the screen if you don't. It says, You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Right? Justification, being made right, righteous, salvation, does not come by obeying the law. He says it like four different times in a row. Justification, no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. And he starts off, he ends chapter 2 by saying this, and then he equates it at the very beginning of chapter 3 to the coming of the Spirit. And so continuing on, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before your eyes, Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Although you began with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by human effort? Have you suffered so many things for nothing? If indeed it was for nothing, does God then give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Right? The, being justified, being made right with God isn't something that is super obvious. It's not like you literally, you know, uh, you, know you, you get saved, you're wearing, you know, black jeans and a blue shirt, and then at the moment of salvation, all white. Ta-da! Right, that doesn't happen. And so what Paul is doing is equating this to the gift of the Spirit because the gift of the Spirit was very clear. People began speaking in tongues and prophesying and laying on of hands. The works of the Spirit were obvious in people's lives. And so Paul is saying... Do you believe and you have works through your belief? The Spirit is able to move in your life and through you, through your belief? Or is it because you do good works? We're going to talk about this a bunch today. But the fact of the matter is the Spirit only comes through faith. We had the law for 430 years after the covenant with Abraham. And from the law to the time of Jesus... The Spirit did not move in power in a nation. We didn't see the Spirit of God come down. All right, that was Jesus leaving the Spirit for his followers. And that came through faith, not through the works of the law. See, it requires the faith of Christ. And so I'm, I've got a lot of different stuff I'm going to be giving you guys today. So I want you to pay really close attention to some of the wording. Because it isn't just that we, we have faith in Christ. That is vitally important. But what does that mean, to have faith in Christ? 
to believe in Jesus. See, another translation of Galatians 2, 15 through 16 says, We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, And we have come to believe in Jesus Christ so that we may be justified by the faithfulness of Christ and not by the works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. Right? This is a very important thing because we are justified by our faith in Christ and our faith is in Christ because he was faithful. Jesus Christ was faithful as a man. He's actually the only man, and we're going to talk about this in a few minutes, that was ever righteous under the law. This is a man that followed the law every moment of his life. He was able to fulfill the law. That's what Jesus did. No one else can claim the same. He was faithful as a son because at the darkest moment in history, Jesus sat in the garden of Gethsemane and prayed to his father, if it is your will, take this burden from me. He never walked away. And God came and said, no, you have to go through with this. And Jesus said, your will be done. I am faithful to my father as a son. And ultimately, Jesus was faithful as God. Because he fulfilled the covenant that God made with Abraham. He fulfilled the covenant that God made with Moses, the law, 430 years later. And he created a new covenant with us, his church, to send the Spirit so that we can work in power and spread his news to the world. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for the words that you have given, that you have written, that they are a comfort to us, to know that you are a worthy God. You are a God who is worthy of our praise because you are a faithful God, because you do what you say you're going to do. And we praise you this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You see, we talked about justification coming from faith. But what does that mean? I was talking with some youth this last week. And one of the questions was, you know, uh, uh, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Okay, what does that mean to you? Well, I have Jesus in my heart. So if, if we were to, you know, like somehow do open heart surgery, would there be a little Jesus in your heart? Like is this, and the kids are like, no. <laughs> Okay, what do you mean? I don't know. All right, this is the, the question of what do we mean when we say, I believe in God? And Paul's going to break this down for us in verse 6 in chapter 3. And this is probably one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. So pay really close attention here. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, Paul is actually quoting the Old Testament here. All throughout chapter 3, he quotes the Old Testament. But this verse is Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What does it mean to um, believe God? The Hebrew word is aman. Everybody say aman. It's like amen, but slightly different. Right? To consider or treat something as dependable or reliable. 
This is more than lip service. Now, Abraham had believed in the promises of God in the past, but this is a shift of the heart. This is more than just a belief, uh, a lip service, but it is instead deep. See, what happened just before this is Abraham was talking with God. They were in a tent. And God said to Abraham, I will make your descendants plentiful. I'm going to bless your descendants. They will be prosperous. They will be rich. And Abraham said, well, God, I, I don't have any descendants. So are you saying that the chief in my house, my chief servant, that's who you're going to bless, right? That's, that's, just make sure we're on the same page. And, and God said, no, Abraham, come here. And so they walked outside, and God says, okay, I want you to look up at the stars. Abraham says, okay. I want you to count them. And I, I kind of always wondered how this actually, like if Abraham started to like one, two, three, four, right? Because, I mean, if you're talking to God and God tells you to start counting, I mean, I don't know. But then uh, God says, your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. That is a covenant that God just made with him. It's not a two-way contract. It's not a, if you do this, then I will do this. It's just, here is my covenant with you. Your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And this Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, is Abraham's response. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed to treat something as reliable or dependable. He believed that God would do what he said he would do. This isn't belief that God existed. Right? A lot of times we say, God, I believe in God, and what we're saying is, I believe God exists. But Jesus tells us in the New Testament, even the demons do that. Right? This isn't about belief. This is a belief that God is a God of his word, that he's going to do what he said he would do. It was the faithfulness of Jesus. And so in this moment, God says, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants prosperous. Through you, all nations will be blessed. And I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham then went and did good works, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed. He said God's word is dependable and reliable. And the next word is righteousness. What does it mean? Corey talked about this last week. The Hebrew word is sadaka. Everybody say sadaka. That's right. It means ethically right, vindicated, justified, or saved. It has a connotation of worthy of reward. Repeatedly, when we see this word in the Old Testament, we see that the people are rewarded for their righteousness. Right? They were, uh, he was righteous and the Lord blessed him. Or the Lord blessed him because he was righteous. Right? Righteousness is worthy of reward. But Abraham didn't earn this by a work. It was simply Abraham believed and God credited it to him as righteous. That word credited is chashav. Chashav. Like you got chashav. <laughs> it means to impute, consider, or assign. And this is what Corey talked heavily about last week, is that this is something where God says it's a legal verdict. It doesn't matter what you did. You are righteous. Righteousness is not something you do. It's something that you are assigned. 
And so God assigned Abraham righteousness because he believed. This is the very first time in the entire Bible that we see this idea that belief is what gets us justification. All right, so we're going to use some words today, and so I want to be really clear here. There is salvation, that is being saved. There is justification, that is being made just. Right? Justification is how we are saved. Because we are just before God, we are saved, we are set aside. And that is hand in hand with righteousness. Being counted righteous is what brings us justification. So Abraham was counted righteous. He was justified. He was saved because he believed. This is the very first time in the entire Bible that we see this pattern that God sets up. It was not by his works he was saved. It was by belief. And it wasn't belief in God but it was belief that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Because we serve a God, how many of you know, that's going to do what he said he was going to do? And so this entire chapter is Paul laying out, God is doing what he said he was going to do. Moving on, Galatians 3, 7 through 9. So then understand that those who believe are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, proclaimed the gospel to Abraham ahead of time, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then all those who believe are blessed along with Abraham, the believer. If we believe, if we believe, we number among the descendants of Abraham. Paul is going to spend the rest of this chapter bearing this out. And so we're going to continue on. Verses 10 through 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who does not keep everything written in the book of the law. Now it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous one will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. But the one who does the works of the law will live by them. It goes on to say, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. All right, that's that new covenant. So Abraham first makes this point. All right, the first part of the, the chapter is justification, salvation comes through faith, period. And then, just to reinforce this, it does not come through the law. <laughs> and so he bears this out, and the people that he were talking to at this point in time, these Judaizers, some of these men were religious scholars. They knew their Bible. They knew their Old Testament. And so he is actually using the specific Old Testament the first one he uses, cursed is everyone who does not keep doing everything written in the books of the law. That's Deuteronomy 27, 26. See, this is requiring perfect obedience. Cursed is everyone who does not keep doing everything that is written in the books of the law. What he's saying is, cursed is everyone. Because we all can't keep doing the things that are written in the book of the law. Then he goes on to Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous one will live by faith. 
He won't live by the works of the law. The righteous one is not made righteous by the works of the law. It doesn't say blessed is the one or righteous is the one who keeps all the works of the law. It says cursed is the one who doesn't keep doing all the works of the law. But the righteous one will live by faith. Again, quoting the Old Testament. He then one more time, Leviticus 18.5, the one who does the works of the law will live by them. So if you are able to actually do all the works of the law, okay, guess what? You get to live. You're not cursed. But no one can live by all the works of the law. The point here is that either following the law perfectly so that the covenant can be fulfilled or through faith. But you can't have it both ways, one or the other. Ultimately, the curse of death came through the law. But Jesus hung on a tree. And this is the very last one. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, what's interesting is a lot of people, we would read this and we would say, oh, you're hanging on a tree, so you're cursed. But it's the other way around. Oh, you're cursed, so you're hanging on a tree. This was a fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus Christ, who would fulfill the law, he was the one man who lived righteously. He was not cursed by the law. And yet he bore our curse hanging on a tree. The blessing of Abraham is justification. It is salvation because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to the law, to the things that he said he would do. So we have to look at this in terms of covenants. What are the covenants? Right, we have the very first covenant. This is Abraham's covenant. And so a covenant today is very different from a covenant in the times of Abraham. So we have, uh, for those of you guys that know, um, one of my uh, other jobs is I do real estate. And let me tell you, real estate contracts are, whew, there are about a thousand ways. You know, if you want to go buy a house, right, you have to show that you are earnest in your desire to buy the house. So you put down earnest money, right? It's, it's a, an amount of money. And you're saying, look, I really want to buy this house. So if I back out of this contract, you get to keep this money. I'm trying to show you how much I really want to buy your house. The problem is, in the state of Idaho at least, there are so many ways to get your earnest money back, right? Like, uh, so like if I'm buying the house and somebody's selling the house and I put down, let's say, $5,000 of earnest money and uh, I do an inspection, I don't even have to tell them why I don't like the house. I find, I'm like, yeah, I found a better deal over here. Oh, cool, you didn't pass my inspection and I get my money back, right? Or, you know, like financing. Well, you know, hey, bank, I really need some help here. I don't like this house anymore. Can you just tell them I don't qualify anymore? And sometimes banks will be like, yeah, yeah, we'll help you, you know, get whatever house you want. And so, oh, financing fell through. I get my earnest money back, right? Like, it's really easy to get your money back. So, um, and honestly, you can even walk away from the contract and say, you know, keep the money. I'm, I'm done. I know I signed a contract that I was going to buy your house, but I don't want it anymore. Right? Like, this contract, this word is not really what it used to be. At the time of, uh, of the Old Testament, the word of a king, the word of a man was immutable. It was unmovable. We see this time after time in the Old Testament. Daniel, 
right? The king, the Daniel's, the king's advisors came to the king and said, king, you're awesome. You know, uh, you should just tell everybody that only you can be worshiped for the next 30 days. And the king says, make it so, puts a seal on it. And so Daniel, what does he do? He goes into the upper room, opens the window and prays to his God. He's like, I don't care what you said, king. You know, you do you, but I'm gonna pray to God. And the advisors come before the king and say, king, Daniel's praising his God. You gotta like you, he's like, but I like Daniel. Like, what do you mean I got to sacrifice? And yeah, you made it. It's law. You can't take it back now. So they throw Daniel into the lion's den, and Daniel, you know, Daniel was doing what he was supposed to. What happens? Well, next morning, who's out front? It's the king. Daniel, you good? Yeah, I'm good. All right, you, you can come out now. You're, you're good. Daniel comes out. All right, those other advisors, throw them in the lion's den. <laughs> We're done with them. All right, everybody worship Daniel's God. <laughs> Right? That's how that worked. But the king, even though he wanted to, he couldn't take his word back. We see that again in uh, the story of Esther. Right? The king was told by a bad informant that um, you know, the Jews were plotting against him and were conspiring. And so the king's like, ah, kill the Jews. Problem solved. And then it turns out that it was his advisor that told him to kill the Jews that was the bad guy. And so the king's like, the, the queen Esther goes to the king and says, king, King, please rescind your order. Please take your word back so that my people will be saved. And the king goes, I, I, I can't. A word once given can never be taken back. I can't, I can't alter what I said I was going to do. Here's what I'll do. I'll make a new word. My new word is if anyone attacks the Jews, they're allowed to attack them back and take all their possessions. Okay, that works. And so that's exactly what happened. Right? Some people attacked the Jews, and those that attacked the Jews were killed, and their possessions got taken. But if a king has a word, how much more does our God keep his word? Right? I'll never forget, one of my, my favorite stories that I've been rereading recently is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the amount of faith that those men had, and just before these men were thrown into a fiery furnace— the moment before they were thrown in, the king says, wait, I'm going to give them one last chance. Deny your God, worship me, and I won't throw you into the fiery furnace. I just need you to worship me. That's it. Worship this idol of me that I have made. And they said, king, you're going to throw us into this furnace. But I want you to know I have faith that my God is going to save me. But even if he doesn't, you're not right. My God is still in charge. And he has a plan. Our God is worthy of praise and faithfulness because he is a faithful God. And he made covenants. He made promises with people. The first one was Abraham's covenant. Galatians 3, 15 through 18. Brothers and sisters, I offer an example from everyday life. When a covenant has been ratified, even though it's only a human contract, no one can set it aside or add anything to it. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and his descendants. Excuse me. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his descendant. Scripture does not say, and to the descendants, referring to many, but and to your descendant, referring to one, who is Christ. 
What I'm saying is this. The law that came 430 years later does not cancel a covenant previously ratified by God so as to invalidate the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham through the promise. God made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. Abraham believed in God's promise and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was made just, was made righteous by his belief that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. Now the law that came later, much like king at the time of Esther, cannot rescind his previous word. Right? Just because God gave the law does not undo the promise that God gave to Abraham. The promise that God gave to Abraham wasn't this literal, like one of the promises he gave was that your children will inherit a very specific land, the promised land. But that wasn't the only promise. It was that your children will be as many as, or your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. That through your descendants, all nations will be blessed. And that your descendants will be prosperous. Now, what's interesting here is Paul also really draws a comparison between the word descendants and descendant. The word in Hebrew translates to seed. And seed is the special type of word. It's called a collective singular. Right? We have a lot of words that are collective singulars in English. Fish. Right? I have a fish. I have fish. Right? Deer. Oh, I have, I have a deer. I have deer. Sheep. I have a sheep. I have sheep. Right? Seeds can mean both I have seed, the singular, and I have seed, the plural, the many seed of my offspring. But when it's used to describe a singular, it always points out something special about that one individual. This, Jesus wasn't the seed of Abraham, excuse me, a seed of Abraham. He was the seed of Abraham. He was the singular, the one through which the covenant that God gave would be fulfilled was through Jesus Christ. Jesus said the fulfillment of the covenant of the law is through me. We're going to get into this in a minute because then we go on to the Moses covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the law. Paul says, why then was the law given? Well, it was added because of the transgressions until the arrival of the descendant to whom the promise had been made. See, God made the promise to Abraham about Jesus. So I gave him the law to get there. It was administered through angels by an intermediary, but an intermediary is not for one party alone, but God is one. So is the law opposed to the promises of God? No, for if a law had been given that was able to give life, then righteousness would have come through the law. We had, we look, we've had the law for a few thousand years now, and yet no one is counted as righteous. Obviously, the law cannot give us righteousness. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise could be given because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Right? The fact that we don't have to live under the law isn't because the law was wrong. It just couldn't bring us justification. The law does not make anyone righteous. The law serves a different purpose from the promise to Abraham. The promise to Abraham was you will be made righteous. The job of the law was to show us the need for the promise to Abraham. 
All right, so let me, let me put it to you this way. When I was growing up, we were taught an evangelism tool. And many of you guys have probably heard of this. It's called the good person test. All right, so as a, <laughs> I just picture myself, I, I cringe at myself in, in hindsight. Because I remember we would go places and we would walk up to strangers, right? This is how we were taught to evangelize. It's like, all right, excuse me, sir, sir, are you a good person? Most people would answer, yeah, yeah, I, th- I think I'm a pretty good person. Or they would just keep walking. <laughs> but the one, you know, the one or two that would answer, yeah, I'm a good person. Okay, well, can, can, I, can I ask you a, a couple of questions? We're just going to test that. Sure, okay. Again, <laughs> I don't remember how many people actually went through this far. But okay, so uh, number one, have you ever lied? Well, yeah, yeah, I've, I've lied. I think I've lied before, okay. Um, number two, have you ever, um, have you ever stolen anything? Even, even as small as a pack of gum. I mean, yeah, probably, maybe even not even noticing I stole something at some point in my life, sure. Okay, um, have you ever um, been so angry at somebody you said you hated them? Because Jesus says that if you hate somebody, if you hold hatred in your heart for your brother, that it's like committing murder. And murder, we know, is wrong, so essentially you've murdered somebody. Have you ever hated? Oh, yeah, I've hated somebody. Um, okay, so uh, have you ever, um, you know, lusted after somebody? Because Jesus says if you have lust after someone in your heart that, you know, it's just like committing adultery. So have you lusted after? Oh, yeah, I've lusted after somebody. Okay, have you ever used God's name in vain? No, it's, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Nah, I've never used God's name in vain. Okay, have you ever, um, uh, have you always honored your father and mother? Well, no, there are times where I did. Okay, so you're now five out of ten here, buddy. Uh, if we were in school and you got a 50%, what's that? <laughs> That's an F, right? <laughs> and so this was supposed to tell people, <laughs> you know, all right, so now let's talk about Jesus, right? Because that was very effective. Uh, let me tell you, this tool uh, has reached so many people for God. And it, honestly, it actually does work. It's just funny to think about because it was never, uh, it was always times where it's like, all right, we're going to go to the mall and witness to people. And it was like, all right, so we're going to walk up to random people at the mall and give them a test. Like, that is what people want when they go to the mall. So uh, we have this good person test, but the purpose of the test is not to show us how good we are. Right? It shows us how much we need God. Right? I failed the test. I obviously need some help. I can't do it by myself. And that is exactly what Paul is saying here. The law was given to show us how much we need the covenant of God. We can't be righteous on our own. There is not a thing that we can do that will get us there. We can try, we can work, we can be as good as we can, but cursed is anyone who does not keep every one of these commandments. Cursed. Well, darn. Obviously, I can't do it on my own. I need something else. And so God gave us that covenant through Abraham. Jesus fulfilled that covenant. And I love that Galatians 2.16 at the beginning. Yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. It's not just faithfulness. It's not just our faithfulness in Jesus Christ. But it was the fact that Jesus Christ was faithful to the promises that God laid out. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified, how? By the faithfulness of Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified. 
See, we don't have to deal with, with the works of the law because the law was fulfilled in Christ. Jesus himself tells us, Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. We still need to be shown that we need God. Right? The law still serves its purpose. It has a purpose to point us to him. But we can't focus on doing good. We've got to focus on doing God. We need the law because it has a purpose. But Jesus fulfilled it. I have not come to abolish these things, but to fulfill them. Those who do the works of the law will live by them. Jesus did the works of the law. And so when I say I believe in Jesus, what I'm saying is not that I believe Jesus existed, because even the demons do that. What I'm saying is that I believe, differently from the demons, that Satan isn't going to win. I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth and that we can be justified by our belief that he's going to do what he said he's going to do and that ultimately he is going to overcome Satan. That we are going to live in a new world, in a new world where God reigns directly over his people. Where we have the opportunity to be justified not by the things that we do, but by our faith and belief in him. And Paul bears this out at the end of the chapter. Now, before faith came, we were held in custody under the law, being kept as prisoners until the coming faith would be revealed. Thus, the law had become our guardian until Christ, so that we could be declared righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Right? This is not our faith that has come. This is the faith of Christ doing what he said he was going to do. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. God made a promise to Abraham. Your descendants. And if we have faith that Jesus did what he said he was going to do and is going to come again and finish what he started, we are descendants of Abraham. Through Jesus, we are sons of God and a part of the promise. See, this is most important part was righteousness was given through faith. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is the most important part, guys. We have to believe. This is a long chapter where Paul is repeating himself over and over and over because it is so important. It is not by the works that we do will we be saved. It doesn't matter what holidays we observe or the good works that we do or how holy we are according to the law because none of us can follow the law. Jesus fulfilled it for us. All we have to do is have faith that he did what he said he was going to do. Jesus fulfilled Abraham's covenant and the law. So we're going to walk through this one last time, just to be really clear. Because Paul walked through this over the entire course of a book, like 12 times. So I just want to make sure we're all clear here. God gave Abraham a covenant. 
The covenant that God gave Abraham was believe that I will do what I say I'm going to do and I will count you as righteous. 430 years later, God gave the law to show us how much we need God to count us as righteous because we can't be righteous on our own. A few thousand years later, Jesus came to fulfill that promise to Abraham through the law so that we can now be a part of that promise. We are now descendants of Abraham. We are heirs with Christ. This is what it means to be co-heirs. We get access to that promise. To be a good person means we're under the law. We're trying to justify ourselves by our actions. We hold the law up and say that we're good because we keep the law. But we know there's no way to do this perfectly right now. Can you keep the law? Oh, come on. Can you keep the law? No. We are justified by faith, not the law. We cannot keep the law. We must not be a good person, but a God person. See, the works that we do, and I want to be really clear here. This is not to say we should stop following the law. This is not to say that we should start just sinning all over the place, right? Because what happens is Jesus made us new creations. I cannot be who I was and who I am. I am literally a new person. I have cast off the things of this world, and I have clothed myself in Christ, right? We are who we are because we believe. We believe that we serve a God who says what he's going to do, he's going to do. And that is a God of his word. Jesus was faithful, and so we are faithful to him. See, being focused on God changes our perspective. Instead of trying to measure up against this rule and all of these laws, instead, all we have to do is focus on him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. As the worship team comes up, you cannot keep being the same person because you are a new creation. You are no longer a Gentile. This is what Paul is saying. You have all of these Judaizers who are saying, no, 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 you guys are Gentiles, we're Jews. If you want to be part of our promise, you've got to start acting like us. And Paul is saying, no. You believe in Jesus and you are a descendant of Abraham. You are open to the promise. No longer do you have to live under slavery of sin and death because Jesus has fulfilled the law. It's a perspective shift that brings so much freedom when you recognize I don't do good because I want to be righteous. I am righteous and therefore I do good. At the end of the day, there are millions of good people who are going to hell. There are millions of people who are so focused on good that they totally miss God. God doesn't expect perfection. I thank God every day. Jesus said, I did not send my son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. I don't have to be condemned for the things that I've done in the past, for the things that I may do in the future. Because Jesus says, I've got it covered. You're not righteous because of what you do. 
Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wondrous face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So we're going to sing this song again. And I loved the words of the song. It matches up so perfectly. I trust in God, the Savior who reigns. He will never fail. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. We serve a God who lives, who answers our prayers, who call. When we call out, he says, my child, I love you, let's talk. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a God who is so concerned with how we follow all of the rules. We serve a God who says, look, I understand you're humans. I love you. Focus on me and your good works will come. Because let me tell you, it's really hard to focus on God and do bad. So this morning, I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered. If you have not sought the Lord this morning, Right? Maybe this is the first time you're hearing this, and you're like, yes, I believed in God. Right? I've had that moment where you know, I say, yeah, I, I believe in God. But you didn't know what it meant. In a little while, we're going to have the, the prayer team. They'll be up here. Ryan's going to pray for some people. If you want to know Jesus, come up. Come up and pray. Because let me tell you, I have a God on my side that does what he says he's going to do. And what he says he's going to do is bless the descendants of Abraham. Guess what? I'm a descendant of Abraham. And so I have access to that God. I am righteous because of that God. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have made your children righteous. There's nothing I could do that could do it. God, you chose me. You sent your son to fulfill the law and the covenant with Abraham for me. God, I pray that you will forgive me for all of the times where I'm not focused on you. God, where I turn my eyes from you and I get focused on the things of this world and I start to fret and I start to worry. God, when I step outside of your will and when I'm living in sin, when I'm acting out the things that you have said I shouldn't do, God, forgive me. And this isn't a performative moment for a church. God, I'm serious. God, I love you. God, I want to be your child. God, I want to be counted as righteous. God, I want to spend eternity worshiping you because you're worthy of it. Because your desire is for me. God, this morning I cry out. I seek your face because I know you will answer. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. Sometimes the answer is no. But you will answer.